can't get into Tolkien, dude. He's just so dry. Mm. Tried a few times, and it's, it's just not for me. I love the films, but I cannot get into the books. Yeah, I think I tried reading The Hobbit a long t- time ago and didn't get through it. Well, The Hobbit mm. is an easy read. You mean Lord of the Rings? Yeah. No, it was, no, it was The Hobbit. Okay. I tried to read. I've tried to read Dune like three times, and I failed. Yeah, that, I, one, I that one I so. should never get through. Yeah. But the, the Hobbit I read very times. like in a day. Uh, Lord of the Rings I read it when I was in high school, but I had to actually sit with a notebook and like put down who who was who and keep track, mm-hmm. so that when the next time the person came up, I could look and see who the hell they were because it was just so crazy. Like the the names of the people and the places I had to keep track of. Mm-hmm. But if you do that. It's pretty entertaining. It's too much work. So, now. I wouldn't do that at this point in my life, but it becomes like a homework assignment. It 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 was, but I was kind of like into it at the time, so it didn't. You know, it was fine with me at that point. I, like I said, I would not do that now. Now, if if, if <laughs> my my, my uh, attention span just doesn't go that long anymore, that I'm willing to put that kind of effort into. It. <laughs> it's all I could do to to put down my phone and watch The Prisoner. Anybody that, uh, oh, Andy says he has no sound. You just all disappeared for a second. I don't know if I uh, lost connection. Or... We were here. No, we we were still. You, were, in, you, you were mumbling. We heard. You went to some alternate dimension, but we were still uh, here. Right. You're probably like five years older now, and you don't even know it. I know. I've explained a great many things. Yeah, because it sounds quite good today, but suddenly you just all went away. You left me all by myself. <laughs> I was singing Andy, can you hear? Andy, Andy. <laughs> oh, you could do a. Oh, Andy, you came and you gave without taking. <laughs> oh, the concert. Well, I let you away. Oh, Andy. <laughs> that actually works quite well. <laughs> For either of the heads of the Leyland household. Yeah, that works quite well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, no, but, uh, it, but you have the Rolling Stones doing Angie. That was one of the best gags in Angel. When, when, yes. he, was Angel, yes. when he was Angel, he loved Barry Manilow and Angelus couldn't stand him. <laughs> and then that's what he sang in... Uh, yeah, Caritas. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I used to love those shows. What happened to Joss Whedon? Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, such is life. We saw his true colors shining through. <laughs> Where am I? The Voyager cast. Who are you? The second in command. What do you want? To cover every iteration of Star Trek. I will not watch Voyager, Enterprise, Picard, Lower Decks, Prodigy, or Discovery. My life is my own. By hook or by crook, you will. I am not a prisoner of your podcast whims. Alright, you want to do the prisoner? Alright then. The Village People, an exploration of the prison. With Paul Spataro, Dave Pascarella, Bill Robinson, and Andrew Lamb. Hello, everybody. Hey, everybody. I'm Dr. Nick. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I've watched The Simpsons in years. Welcome to the Village Idiots. 
we are looking at every single episode of Patrick McGoohan's seminal 60s mind-expanding drug, The Prisoner. I am Andrew Leyland, and I'm here to cause a whole mess of trouble, see? Because dying ain't much of a living, kid. And I am joined by Sheriff Paul Spataro. I don't think it's nice you laughing. See, my <laughs> mule gets the funny idea that you're laughing at him. Now, if you apologize, like I know you're going to, perhaps I can convince him that you didn't mean it. First gunman, Dave Pascarella. We're ready to saddle up, Pilgrim, and get in there and give him a whipping. And horse dealer, Dr. Bill Robinson. On today's program, a judge, a jury, and a horse of course, is a horse, unless it's a cardboard horse. <laughs> it's a horse of another color. <laughs> Today, we are looking at Living in Harmony, just in case you didn't guess from that introduction. An episode that was actually shot one of the last, but for in this wacky <laughs> arrangement of episodes that Bill has picked, has heard <laughs> quite early on into the run, which confused the hell out of me, because I had to go dig out the almost last episode of the DVD. By what strange manipulation of time is the prisoner taken back to the Old West? Raw, rough, and brutal. But they call it living in harmony. What's wrong with our town, mister? Maybe I don't like the way it's run. Oh, you just do as the judge says. He'll look after you. I look after myself. It's a good town. Keep it. So you don't like our town, huh? You insult us! The girl in the saloon was his appealing ally in a town ruled by corruption. Let justice be done. What's the charge? Against you, none. You're free to go. The people of Harmony against Katherine Johnson. You're accused of aiding a prisoner to escape. The prisoner is dealt rough justice in his next brawling adventure on this channel. <laughs> it was written by and again why doesn't this book just list who writes and directs things because that's confusing to me ian rankoff wrote the script david tomblin finished the script based on an idea by the stuntman frank mayer apparently uh that's what it says in the book and mm. it was supposed to be directed by mcgoohan but could not be directed by mcgoohan because he swanned off to film ice station zebra Good movie, good movie. Good movie. So it ended up being directed by someone else. And again, I cannot find the name because why can't it just say written and directed by? This is an excellent question. And this makes for some excellent podcasting. I was yeah. I was try, trying to find something else, too, but I don't see anything. No, I don't. I, somebody no. must have directed this thing. <laughs> somebody kind of just shot itself. They all just meandered around and uh, uh, get that camera. Yeah. I cannot find... There is no mention... There must be a director. Right, hold fire. I am going to find out. says David Tomblin on Wikipedia. Oh, did David Tomblin direct it as well? All right. Yes. Okay. You, you can fix all this in post. It was directed by David Tomblin as well when McGowan was unable to direct it because of going off appearance in, uh, his appearance in Ice Station Zebra. Uh, Tomblin would go on to be second unit director on an awful lot of Spielberg things, including Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
Yeah, I think one of the um, Star Wars films, too. Yeah, he did a lot of second unit for Lucasfilm and Spielberg and all that stuff in the uh, 80s. It was originally aired on ITV on Friday, 29th of December, 1967, getting almost nine and a half million viewers. And it was not broadcast in the original CBS network run. Hmm. Reasons of utmost controversy. Now, I've I found two reasons for this, and then I actually found the genuine reason. Oh, one reason really? was yes, yes indeed. One reason was it was considered a critique of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't get that from the episode at all. Well, the conscientious well, whatever that conscientious objector, yeah, because he yeah. wouldn't carry the gun. Yes. Uh, the other reason was they had a sponsorship deal, CBS, with the NRA and therefore did not approve of an episode where a guy was refusing to carry a gun. Ah, that actually makes more sense than anti-Vietnam. Right. Yeah. OK. Uh, but go on. What was your, were your two reasons, those or were the different? No, reasons? no, no. Uh, the other reason I saw was because of hallucinogenic drug use. But we've seen way more other episodes yes. that are way more oh. with hallucinogenic drug use. I saw that one as well and completely dismissed it because, yeah, we've seen far more of the rest. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I actually did find a video on interviews.televisionacademy.com with Henry Coleman, who worked as a CBS program executive in the late 1960s. And it was basically his job to bring in programming for CBS and oversee that program to make sure it was family friendly and there wasn't anything in that could upset family audiences because that's who they were aiming at. The the episode was not screened for none of those reasons. He says there was an incident in the news around the time that this episode was scheduled to be aired. And because of this incident, they elected not to show the episode because it would have been insensitive at the time. That He doesn't say what the incident was. Right. But I've I, seen, think I, did, yeah. I did see that I've one. Seen, I was like, OK, what's the incident? <laughs> yeah, we've had loads of stuff like that where this is not the episode building the radio times and stuff like that because mm. of something that's gone on that week. So that kind of has the ring of truth to it more than the others, because that's the one that seems the most plausible. Mm. I hate plausible. Yes, plausible deniability. But I don't know, what do you guys think? You, you watch American television a lot more than I do. I don't think it felt incredibly different from television westerns that we were seeing at the time i think the biggest yeah, thing I mean, that felt guns different at this time uh, i think that may yeah i think they they probably overlapped uh the biggest thing i think about it that, that dif- differentiated it from american westerns at the time is just that so much of it was silent and just visual mm. there was there was less dialogue than than i would expect in a, an american western but otherwise, I, I didn't think it was all that dissimilar. How about you, Dan? I think that's what's... No, I, I agree with you. I, I think this could have been a regular uh, American Western TV show, but for the surprise ending. I, I think it's, it's one of the things that struck me watching this run. There is an awful lot of television from the 60s that is literally, it's a play on television. So it's very limited in its sets and it's very limited in what's it and the dialogue carries the day. The prisoner isn't that at all. The prisoner is exceptionally visual and very filmic. And I do wonder if that's because a lot of the people involved with it came from film rather than television. So, yeah, this one is all in the visuals, an awful lot of it. 
and the music the music's really good in this one because they can't fall back on to actually do a, a new <laughs> score for it and every now and again you'll hear a little bit like in the background but it's in a western format yeah and I thought the score to this one was really good. I love the opening. I love that it just starts. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I yeah like that it starts in the same. It starts in the same way as the he's badge. Yeah, and he still throws his badge down, which is his resignation. But again, we're now used to television shows doing off-concept episodes, the black and white episode, the musical episode, what have you. How, how weird would this must have been in 1967? Oh, yeah. You're sitting down well, to tune into the prison and you see a cowboy. I would have definitely well, just gone. Just imagine to... for a moment that you've never watched it before and you're going to jump in on this episode. Yeah, you're going to think it's all a Western. Wow, I didn't realize <laughs> this was a Western. But I, I would yeah. have gone for the entire opening being redone in Western form, you know, with him riding off in the horse and people following him and then him going into like a cabin or something and then somehow drugging him and taking him and putting him in the town. I would have gone for the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, they kind of abandon it halfway through, don't they? And just the episode just starts. Yeah. Yeah, instead instead no of the, the, the title, the we get the title of the episode. Yeah, we were <laughs> never told that it's the prisoner until the first commercial break. But you know what? Being in a, a Western town like that in the middle of the desert, if you don't have... A horse, for all intents and purposes, yeah, you're trapped on the island or in the village. In a western town. In- oh, sorry. <laughs> Dead end, boys. Since for me, I mean, this is again, I'm coming at this as a fan of westerns, but it's not my background. It's not my country's culture. But looking at it, I just thought that this looked like England. This <laughs> felt like that Austin Powers gag. Isn't it amazing how London in 1967 looks like L.A.? <laughs> I, I didn't buy it as an American. Well, see, I, I didn't well, buy it. Well, where was that shot? Because I've seen that in one of the other episodes. I think I've seen that that location shot. I think it's worthy film many happy returns when he gets when he finally lands on on, on dry land. Yeah, it looked like the same location. See, I, did, I didn't buy it as an authentic Western background, but I didn't think it was any different than any American show that, you know, that went with, uh, you know, a soundstage. It looked like a backlot yeah. type of yeah, that's thing. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was the backlot. It was the backlot at Boreham Wood at oh. MGM. So it was a backlot, because I can't imagine Britain has many Western sets. And there, there were plenty of American Westerns that were filmed on backlots. So yeah. you know that it, it didn't it didn't jump out at me as non-American, uh, although it did you know like I said it didn't feel like it was authentic it didn't feel like they were in uh, all of a sudden I can't think of what the name is of the valley where they film all the uh, Monument Valley Monument Valley there's the other one where they filmed Arena is what I was thinking of just now oh oh well, right. so, yeah you know it didn't have that yeah feel. the one you see in like every freaking western. Yeah. In America, uh, every television show. Well, Monument yeah, Valley was big on, on uh, Monument Valley was big on the on John Ford westerns. It's also the only episode where we don't have a number two. Not really. Well, we, well, we do. The uh, if the judge, he's actually number he's not, two. He's not credited as number two, but he is. 
Well, but Stevie Lee's meant to be number two. Yeah. Speaking of, I mean, the judge was all right, but I think the standout is number eight, the kid. The kid, Alexis Canna. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a really weird vibe to him throughout this oh, entire yeah. episode. <laughs> Oh yeah, it is. which works. Very creepy. It, it really works. Yeah, especially when you find out that the end, the twist ending, that they're just village employees. I do wonder why, whenever he's been wandering around the village, he's never spotted that there's a western set at the end of that road before. <laughs> he, I mean, he'd think he, that would have stood he, out. You could, you know, if we were going to do who, who replaces him, you maybe you get Marcel Marceau. Uh, you know, he was just <laughs> he he had just such a creepy feel to him. Yeah, he was great. He's brilliant. He's in an episode of UFO, The Cat with Ten Lives, and he's he's just, he's just as good in that. Only he's not creepy. He's just a nice guy who gets taken over by the aliens, mm. and then becomes creepy, and then becomes creepy. Yeah, but well, get used to it. You'll you'll be seeing a bit more of him. Shh. Spoilers, sweetie. So yeah, because I have another choice for the next time time we see him, but I so I won't do it here. So do we have? Uh, do you have? Any recommendations for uh, replacements for number eight and uh, for the judge? Who does number two work for? Who does number two work for? That's right, buddy. You show that turn who's boss. For number for the ju- at the time, I'm thinking James Garner. Hmm. Ah, I had thought the Forrest Kelly. I had thought George C. Scott. Mm. Also an excellent call. I had Claude Aikens. Sheriff Lobo coming coming back to recreate that role. Hey, he played a lot of bad, bad guys, too. Mm -hmm. You know who who else just, I mean, you have to get rid of the, uh, what you think of him from, (laughs) from what you've seen him in so much. But a, a guy who kind of seemed to fit it for me also was Ed Platt, who played uh, the chief on Get Smart. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Like he would, you'd have to get him in a, uh, in a serious role. Which he William had. Conrad could have played the judge, too. Yeah. He would have been good there. But for uh, Alexis Kanner, I think... Uh, see, I don't want to give away... When we see him later, I got a perfect person then, but I'll save that. Um, uh, for this time, oh, you know what? I had this when I was laying in bed this morning, and now it's gone away. So so for a modern, I would maybe try with Tom Holland. Oh, all right. For the kid. For the kid. Right. And then um, for back in the day, maybe ooh, I don't know about this one try to go with Leonard Nimoy, but it would be so hard to disassociate himself from Spock role at that time that, you know, I mean, he was doing other things, but I don't know. See, modern day number two, I thought Timothy Oliphant. Mm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because he seems to be making his career out of doing that at the minute. <laughs> yes. If he's not playing Marshall and Gibbons, he's playing a Marshall on the Mandalorian. <laughs> I didn't really have I thought Tom before. Wilkinson. Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't have a modern day. I wasn't able to come up with anybody who really seemed to fit it for me. I would have to do a casting call. <laughs> All right, next. 
the original title for this episode was Do Not Forsake Me or My Darling. Mm. Remember that. And it is heavily based on issue 70 of Dell's Gene Autry comic from 1953, in which uh, Autry arrives in a town called Harmony, where the sheriff does not permit guns to be worn. Oh. And Gene Autry teaches them the value of guns. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't <laughs> know how the story killing. turns out. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't say. It just it basically, on page 237 of this book, it says it was based on issue seven, issue 70 of Dell Comics' Gene Autry comic. Colour me amazed that Gene Autry had a comic. Oh, he had a lot. But, he what? did one on a long time. Is, he was uh, the singing okay. cowboy. Well, as speaking of, I was today years old when I learned that uh, Billy Ray Cyrus had a comic. So, well, I am I am this wow. minute old when I learned that. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's stranger things have happened hmm. in the world of comic books. So that was quite interesting that he stole this plot from a comic book. Many of things have been stolen from comic books. It's just yes. another form of literature. Yes. Uh, normally without credit, which is a shame. Oh, look, I finally found where it says David Tomlin's first chance to direct. Hey. Thanks, thank you. <laughs> That's not going to make sense if Paul edits it properly, but we'll see what happens. I'm then. not editing it properly. That's going in right now. I, I but, figured you couldn't. <clears throat> so I have a question. Go on, Matt. Colombo. What did you make of the posters all over the place that said the bishop is coming? I must have missed those. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. If that was subconscious or subliminal, I, I've completely blanked on it. Yeah. Now I'm never going to know what it means. <laughs> it's ruined. The show, the whole show is That's ruined now. The same with many things about the prisoner. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe I'll go back and look through. Obviously, it's in the town shots, right? With yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's pretty much. All over the place. The bishop is coming. I wouldn't be surprised if being it was a backlot, it was left over from something else and they just didn't take it down. They, well, they are always they going for did, the surreal feeling. Yeah, so uh, it wouldn't shock me if they're going to throw something in there with no explanation just to kind of make your mind just work and, you know, so, lead you nowhere. So what did you guys think when he suddenly... When it when it's revealed, well, you know he's in the village, but when he suddenly got a headset on and he's jumping up and he's looking around, there's all these cardboard cut cutouts of people. There's a <laughs> that's a lot of work to make the cardboard cutout of of the kid in his shot position. <laughs> it's like <laughs> okay, <laughs> and the cardboard, the two sided no less. It was a two sided cardboard cutout of the horse. <laughs> Oh my so, God, we've gone yeah. too deep. <laughs> yeah, I like, I, I, this, this is a level of attention to detail, even for the village. <laughs> well, so n now you ha have to wonder: Did he ever really ride a horse, or was did they just have like a wooden hobby horse and they pulled him around on it? You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now, and there's a guy going. Brr, 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 brr. <laughs> It's like, well, they have a guy with two coconuts <laughs> running behind him. But but so you guys as first timers, were you were like, what? 
what the heck? I wondered I mean, cause how they were going to explain away, you know, the whole thing. And I'm still not totally convinced that the psychotropic ju- drugs were enough to make him believe that he grew up in, you know, the old West. This is like early, early version of the Matrix. This is like, you know, it's, it's a yeah. complete. It's, it's it's an Oculus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's you know, like, it's, it's reality. The whole the whole thing is to get him get his brain to think that this is all real just seems a little strange to me because have you eliminated all of his memories of modern conveniences you know he, he's got to be torn a little between you know wait a minute i didn't grow up in this uh so that's that's the part of it that you have to kind of just let go otherwise it's the same same thought process i had with a b and c where if you believe their technology would allow them to do this, you could just kind of go along for the ride. You know, you have you have to kind of just jump over those few hurdles uh, of unbelievability to me. But then once you get past that, you can just say, you know what, let me just, you know, for the, for the sake of the show, let me just take the plunge and believe this is all real. Hmm. Yeah, I just said it was to myself, it was an improved uh, technology over A, B, and C. I had no trouble with it whatsoever. Unfortunately, we're... Oh, sorry, Andy. I was just going to say, maybe that's why it's placed here in this order, that it is an extrapolation of the technology they've already used in a previous episode. It makes mm. it makes that... Uh, techno- you know, it makes, makes that believability jump a little easier to make when you're following it up right off the same kind of thing that you've already done. Without, you know, and it's it's a different enough scenario that you don't feel like, oh, it's just the same episode over again. Remember, we, we had that a couple of times with uh, Listen to the Prophets, where they aired two episodes in a row that were a little too similar. And we were like, well, you know, why didn't they break these up and put a couple other things in the middle? And, and you know, we, we never really got answers for those. Uh, in this mm-hmm. one, I don't think that's the problem, although this isn't the original viewing order anyway. Uh, but in the order they put it in here, it makes total sense that you just kind of you're you're still along for the ride, basically. Well, unfortunately, it worked a little too well as uh, some of our participants got a little too involved. As uh, when number eight goes off the rails and still thinks he's the kid. Yeah, the the killing of the the young woman who's a part of the story. She just died because the plot demanded it, didn't she? Yeah. Because she's she... like, he strangles her, and then she manages to squawk <laughs> out her last pieces of dialogue, and then goes, "All right, my bit's over. Oh, I am dead." <laughs> I wish it was real. <laughs> and so I flail. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I think he should have saved her. To be I do too. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. He, 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 uh, never mind. <laughs> like, but if he saves her, then do you have the problem of having her somehow in your continuity as an ally? To no, she just disappeared. No, they ship her ah, out. They give her yeah. to all the time. I'm sorry. I didn't mean all to, right, I didn't mean to insult you with that thought. Out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They just ship her off somewhere else. Are we really sure that uh, the kid is dead? Hmm. I, I was well, I was until you just kind of said that twice <laughs> in this episode so far. 
So I'm saying no. I'm not so sure. (laughs) Questions will be asked when we get there. Maybe he'll show up bald in a wheelchair with a cat (laughs) on his lap. And then you can dump him down a smokestack. Right. That would be – I would pay extra money to see that. I think that would be awesome. Maybe someone would buy you a delicatessen. In stainless steel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. They all seem to be having a lot of fun doing a Western. Oh, wouldn't you, though? Despite, you know. Yes, yes, I would. And I did not know prior to filming this, because I've been like, um, I don't know that we do good Westerns, because it's not our culture. And then I've just watched The English with Emily Blunt in it. And at the end of that, it says that the first filmed Western ever shot was made in 1899 and it was shot just down the road from me in Blackburn. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. Because there was all this, like, a bunch of things that I read said this was like the first British Western shot? No. The first film Western shot in 1899 by Saga Mitchell and James Kenyon was shot in Blackburn, Lancashire, England using people from the Buffalo Bill Cody Traveling Western shows, which came over here in the late 1890s, early 1900s. Excellent. So, I do find it hard to believe he would give up the gun. I get giving up the badge, but giving up the gun at that time, I, I don't see that. Unless there was more of a backstory that he killed someone. That he shouldn't have killed, and he had guilt over that. But typically, in a Western character, I don't see them giving up a handgun. I think they're playing with that whole high noon thing. I mean, they've said that one of the inspirations was high noon. Well, if, if the original right, title was he Do Not Forsake Quaker, Me, Oh My His darling. wife's a Quaker in High Noon. Yeah. Well, what's the other one? Angel and the Bad Man is kind of similar thought process but it's typically it's a woman making him give up the gun oh yeah uh speaking of the woman uh well uh her character was kathy so they they killed her brother that's what he said because somebody had to get hung well that was and that was such a uh i can't think where i've seen that point of view in many westerns, the point of view of the hangy, you know, with the rope over the head, and I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've seen it, but it's just not often. It was a different, uh, quite a different choice to make. I'm surprised they didn't go. I guess they couldn't go all the way and show the point of view from when, you know, like if I was doing it, I would have probably had, uh, you know, the horse. The horse takes off. You have the point of view of per- per- person on the horse, and then you fade out the camera to black. But that would have probably been a little too much for 1960s uh, sensibilities on TV. Yeah, and they were they were already toning down a lot of the elements of this script anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, McGowan's attention to detail resulted in him while he was in America filming Ice Station Zebra, he was taught how to quick draw by Steve McQueen and Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> I'm just how you're doing, Yeah, he wanted to do it authentically which led to Alexis Canna actually cheating to be able to outdraw him by by holding back the, the feathering thing, the thing on the back that you pull back. I don't know the proper mm. name of it. The hammer. Uh, the hammer, thank you. But because of that, Alexis Canna ended up actually cutting his hand repeatedly on takes. 
to the point where they ended up with blood all over the floor because he wanted to be able to outdraw Patrick McGoon. Mm. Ah, here it is. Cameron had wired the hammer on his revolver so he could fire with one-handed action. But after several takes, his hand was severely cut. So he, cause he, and it, but it did result in him being very, very quick. Hmm. So I quite like that both of them took that very, very seriously for what is essentially a brief moment on screen that, you know, again, editors, dude, that's what they're for. Yeah. I so, would be a shit method actor, wouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> ah, fix it in post. Yeah, Andy would just want him to CGI everything. <laughs> yeah. Make me look good. I'm from the Noel Coward school. Have you tried just acting? <laughs> Speaking of acting, uh, what did we think of um, Mr. McGowan's, uh, McGoo, you've done it again, um, of his uh, Western accent? Was he doing his, one? Because his American accent. An awful lot, didn't it? Well, you know, he is. He was born in Queens. He was born in. Uh, he he is American. People forget yeah. that. Does he have an American accent in Colombo? Oh yeah. Reminds me Especially of your American plays. accent, Andy. Yeah. So, well, nothing. That's, to do that's with all I could hear was Andy. You know, is just. I'm like Marcus Brody, man. I blend in. <laughs> 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 I just it's dead easy all I do is I just put my teeth together and talk real slow like this and everyone really buys me as being a native or, can't understand it myself or when you do your Brooklyn accent <laughs> I'm walking <Yeah>. here <laughs> it's, it felt like it wavered a lot and I wonder yeah. if that's because he was on a British set like at first it was it seemed very uh, you know but then it, it kind of drifted yeah, I mean, if he's on an American set, surrounded by Americans, I wonder if his American accent came out. Like Carrie Fisher in Star Wars. When she was with Peter Cushing, she suddenly had a British accent. When she's with Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford, it's gone away. And you see that all the time. Have you ever seen John Barrowman? Yes. Uh, on British television. His Scottish mm-hmm. accent comes back. Ah. And he's not, it's not an affectation. He's not putting it on. It's the same with Gillian Anderson. Gillian Anderson grew up in Britain and America. So when she's in Britain, she speaks with a British accent just because she can. And you just naturally fall back into it. So I wonder if it's when he's on an American set surrounded by American actors and American crew, it's easier to maintain his accent. That's uh, The you Walking know, Dead is like replete with British actors doing American accents. And then uh, mm-hmm. the guy to varying degrees of success. Yeah, uh, well, the one, the one, the the performance that stands out to me is not Walking Dead. It's on uh, Sons of Anarchy. The main uh, guy, I can't think of what his name is. Uh, you know, he, early early on, he seemed to really focus on it and do a good job doing the American accent. But as the latest seasons went on, and he would be given like these monologues to give and stuff, it just he fell into the British accent so many times. It was like ridiculous. And we were watching, uh, you know, I've already told you guys, we were watching Boston Legal recently, and there's a, a, an actress on that who, I don't know, six, seven episodes after she's introduced, they say, oh, I'm actually from England, and I've been pretending be, to be from America to hide from people. <laughs> and, and all I could think is, and I didn't go back to, to watch the earlier episodes to pay attention to her voice, but all I'm thinking is she had such a tough time doing the American accent that they said, you know what, just do your regular accent, we'll change your backstory. 
Well, they did that in Burn Notice as well, didn't they, with Fiona? She's an Irish in the first episode. And then when they go to see her, oh, they're yeah. like, oh, just, just forget it. Just speak with your normal accent. <laughs> and they literally have one line of dialogue where, where Michael Weston says to us, what's going on? She said, oh, I'm just blending in better. I think there's... And like, you're in America! <laughs> I think there's a far greater success ratio of English or Australian actors doing an American accent than there is of American actors doing those accents. Because we've grown up exposed to your television on a regular basis. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But the American actors usually do shit accents when they do English or Australian. I I point you to uh, In Ray, Kevin Costner, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. (laughs) He didn't even try. He he tried for like, I think, for the first couple of scenes and that was done. I forget it. And Russell Crowe in Robin Hood as well. I don't know Russell Crowe is Australian. So you'd think he'd be able to pull it up. You would think. It's not but that no. far removed. No. I mean, Do you watch the US version of Ghosts, the sitcom? No. I have... I've, To be honest, I've seen more of the UK version of Ghosts than I have the US at, at this point. I, the US one's just landed on BBC iPlayer, and I've been watching it. And it's actually really good. It's, it's like The Office. They've just taken the basic idea mm-hmm. and transplanted it to America. So you've got a Confederate soldier ghost. Right, a Revolutionary War soldier goes, sorry, whereas we've got a captain from World War One, so they've done that kind of thing. And then there's this episode where they find a bunch of British soldiers from the Revolutionary War, and they live in the shed, and those accents are a hate crime. I don't know <laughs> if any of those actors were genuinely British, but they're awful. But it's a good, it's well worth watching, and Rose McIver's lovely, so, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But we seem to be wandering so, down the topic of accents. <laughs> well, speaking, I, I have one more accent story, so... My my mom worked for years as a bail bondsman, and uh, after I got out of the service, I spent some time in her office, and she would get on the phone with people, or people would come in, and they would leave, and I, I came up to her one day, and I was like, you do realize that you're talking in an accent when certain people come in, or you talk to them on the phone. She's like, what are you talking about? I was like, mom, I've heard you. You, you suddenly have a Hispanic accent. Or you're Italian, or you're this, or you're that. I was like, do you not realize you're doing that? She's like, no. My mother was zealous. <laughs> I, I was like, mom, it, it, you sound a little racist, you know. It's like, what? What are you doing? She's like, uh, she had no conscious knowledge that she was doing it at all. And I was like, wow. So I guess, so, like you're saying with Carrie Fisher, you know, she yeah. just kind of, whoever she's talking to, she can just get into the... The vernacular, so to speak. Hmm. Of course, it's not, I, it's, well, I grew up watching Doctor Who and Monty Python, so whenever I do an old, you know, like a woman's voice. Wow, that was so authentic. <laughs> exactly. Watch <laughs> oh, the penguin on the telly. Oh. <laughs> How many years of He's training did you have? <laughs> Phil's missing his job minutes. as a voice coach. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it isn't just on CBS. This was not dubbed into French for selling to France, and it was not prepared for German transmission either. So I don't know what it is about this episode that resulted in it not being prepared for overseas sales just generally. Living in harmony. It did err in Japan and Italy. Uh, so hey. that's, 
I don't it's know why. Western. Oh, sorry. It doesn't. It doesn't go into any detail as to why this episode was not prepared for the French or the German overseas sales package. So if anybody knows that, let me know. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I think we've kind of come to the end. Yeah, no, well, there is, there's the interesting discussion. I, I want to ask you guys, what, where do you think that Vietnam story stemmed from? Because I was watching this and, all right, the conscientious objector thing, I kind of get that, I suppose, in retrospect. But it didn't seem, and certainly from reading the book with the interviews with the writer and the director, that did not seem to be uppermost on their minds in the making of this episode. So it isn't an allegorical thing. Where oh, yeah, yeah, we were really talking about Vietnam. Neither of them even mentioned Vietnam in the preparation for this episode. So where do you think that story came from? Because watching it, I didn't get that vibe. I think maybe somebody came up with that based on what might have happened in the news that week. Maybe there was some type of... I would, If I had to guess, I would say there would have been a lynching or a hanging that took place in America. And they decided not to run it because of that, the horse scene, because of that. If I had to guess... Just saying, going out on a limb, 1960s America. Hmm. Right. I could the, Viet- the Vietnam story makes a better story, do you think? Yeah. I can see it tying in from the aspect of it was he, he's mutinying against authority. He's not going to kill anyone as a representative of the state he turns in his badge when he takes his badge back he refuses to carry a gun and when he decides to kill number eight for killing kathy it's personal he doesn't put the badge on so in a twisted 60s sense the rebellion against the authority that's the way i see mm. it i didn't really so that's prisoner. pretty much every episode of prisoner <laughs> yeah yeah, but I, 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 but it, I think Dave is, I, I think Dave is on point with it. I think that that's more the motivation than, well, let's make a commentary on war. And it's much harder to ignore it in a Western setting than it is in a standard episode. When, when, when did this air in the United? Or when would it have aired, roughly? Uh, let me have a see. The sixty-eight, right? Yeah, yeah, not uh, right. Late sort of sixty-eight. So really, when uh, when the uh, American consciousness of the Vietnam War was at a, on a rise, uh, and and there was you know starting to be some significant uh, marches and protests and you things also going have on. King being killed, Bobby Kennedy being killed, the explosion at the Democratic Convention in Chicago with the police had to go in and break heads. Clearly, we were not living in harmony in 1968. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how that that Mm. story is the one that's gained traction, but there's absolutely nothing about that from the creators. And that interview from the guy who's in charge of acquisitions and stuff at CBS says that that wasn't the case at all. Well, maybe go, going along with that, the, the fact that the authority figure is not the best 
I mean, they don't have the best portrayal. They are not in seen in a good light. And, you know, maybe going along more with the uh, rejecting of that authority. I, I, I see Dave's point. I mean, look, for, for a long time, like the comics code, when the, that was at its height, you know, you couldn't portray a policeman or a judge in a bad light, that kind of stuff. American TV for a long time, you know, the cop was always the good guy. The judge was always, and it was a very, very rare blip where that wasn't the case. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And depending at the age graphic that this might have been aimed at, maybe they didn't feel comfortable with that. Yeah. <clears throat> I just thought I was interested that that's the story that's been repeated down through the years. I, I think it's, 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 it's a more. Uh, in reality. I think it's a more creative narrative for them to push. That's what I think mm. it comes down to. I, I don't think. I don't think it's reality. It certainly doesn't seem to be. All right. I guess we have reached the point, gentlemen. Where do you rank this episode? Since nobody's speaking, I'll jump in. <laughs> we, we should decide the order of this, shouldn't we? I'm, I'm gonna yeah. uh, I'm gonna put this at a five. I found it to be entertaining. I got a kick out of the whole Western atmosphere. Uh, I thought the silence that largely was in the episode was pretty interesting and, and made, made it more uh, made me glued me more to the set and watching the visuals, uh, which, as you said, Andy, that's that's frequent in this particular show uh but i thought you know i thought it was fun just to, to to see him in a western was fun uh so i i think i would have liked if in the western you saw more clues to it being the village in reality but other than that i thought it was really as i say fun so 5.0 i'm uh, i'm right there with you except I really enjoyed it. I gave it six bullets for a six gun. <laughs> you know, I, I I thought he made a great uh, cowboy slash sheriff where uh, the silent type who comes in and pretty much does what he has to do, even though it's in a little weird way gunless. I like the way... Uh, I got a kick out of how it really shows you what a sneaky rat number two is when he pulls the Derringer at the end. Because, I mean, it's a sneak's gun. You know what I mean? He didn't have a regular six gun on. He pulls out of his sleeve a Derringer. A sneaky rat. I I really enjoyed this. I love the whole concept. And that if you just put it on, not knowing, you'd think it was a Western. So six bullets for the six gun. Uh, yeah, I went with a five for this one as well. I genuinely enjoy it. I like the surprise of it. I like the off-concept nature of it. I like that it doesn't even tell you that it's an episode of The Prisoner at all. So if you're watching this now on a streamer or on Blu-ray or whatever, there's no indication what it is until the end credits. If you were watching it on TV, it's the first ad break where you see the bumper to say what the episode is. It is just another standard episode where they're trying to get at him through brainwashing techniques but because it's told through a western that gives it a much different vibe everyone seems to be having fun doing a western alexis canna delivers a really chilling 
an off-kilter performance that works well with McGowan's stoicism. And like you've all pointed out, it, the, the visual nature of it leans into what the prisoner did an awful lot of, which would be more filmic than television. It's well shot. It's well directed. I think it looks really good, considering it's shot on the Borehamwood backlot in a cold and miserable England. Uh, and I think everyone did a good job of that. I think it's a really fun, entertaining installment. I am going to give it, uh, and I'm surprised we didn't bring this up. We didn't bring up the the top hat, the choice of wearing a top hat for for the kid. It's just so, and the way he, you know, puts it on, you know, with the with the with the regal kind of with the one hand. So I've give it five and a half top hats, and that uh, that point five is uh, it was bumped up by. By Mr. Canner and his top hat performance. <laughs> so top of hat. Top of hat. <laughs> Billy the Kid. Billy the Kid wore a top hat. Did he? I did not know that. Yeah, I just pulled up a picture. I'm pretty sure. Bill, yeah, Billy the Kid. Good old wore Billy Bonnie. Right. Oh, well, isn't, huh. isn't it true that what we traditionally think of the cowboy hat wasn't traditionally wore in the West? Not sure. I mean, there might have been the people wearing bowlers. and Yeah, it's mostly the bowler. I only know what I've mm. seen in movies, so I can't tell you. <laughs> I've been brainwashed. Speaking of I, movies, how, how, how about that wonderful uh, Hispanic stereotype? <laughs> hey, you yeah, come to our town, sir. Oh, you don't <laughs> like harmony? Oh, you don't wear a gun? Yeah, I don't oh, think you get away with that. <laughs> oh, well, you know what was neat that they had in the bar? There was a picture of Wyatt Earp hanging on the wall. Was that? Oh, look at you! You're you're like looking all in the background and everything. Me and Andy are just like, yeah, I've seen this, done this. Let's just get well, on. Just with to, it. just to throw it out there because it's on my mind right now. If if you do like the Western genre at all, you should explore uh, Lonesome Dove, which is probably the best Western ever. Mm. Just saying. I'm watching the Magnificent Seven TV show. Does that count? It's not the same. Oh, Michael Bean, he'd be a good number two for this. Hmm. Even it's older so Michael Bean. Yeah. So anyway. So the question now before you would be, what did Blaine think? Do not forsake me, Blaine, my darling. <laughs> Let me know what you think. Is that okay? Yeah, that's that's that, okay, but we may be hearing that, that song okay. again before this season is over. Maybe. Could be. Well, you could have you could have sang uh, Harmony by Elton John. If I knew that, I would have done. You don't know that song? I From Goodbye, Elbert Road? I don't think I know that one, no. It's one of your countrymen. <laughs> so? You should know everything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the way it works. Anyway, Blaine says... Hi, guys. O.G. A Western. <laughs> this is one of my least favorite genres. I can count the Westerns I've enjoyed on one hand, likely with fingers left over. Let's see. Butch Cassidy the Sundance Kid. Butch Back to the Future Part 3. Serenity. Say um, where those are science fiction, dude. <laughs> I'm sure there are more. They'll come to me. There are so many good Westerns out there. Uh, 
The Magnificent Seven would be on the list. The Good, Bad, and the Ugly is on the list. The Outlaw, the Outlaw Josie, Josie Wales, Wales would be on the list. Uh, the Searchers. I mean, there's just so many that Unforgiven. I'm a big fan of. Stagecoach. 310 to Yuma. The structure worked well enough, so most fans of the genre would likely enjoy much of this one. I'll also give them credit for managing to include what I am convinced is a threat of rape into 1960s television. That wasn't an easy thing to do. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. Maybe that's why they didn't show it. Mm. My biggest issue is that number six has proven so resilient in the past that I find it difficult to think he wouldn't have realized he was in a fantasy world long before his death in the fantasy, particularly since the headset could come off so easily. The plan just worked too well for this character and this technology. Next up, It's Your Funeral is episode 11 on iTunes. Yeah, I, I don't know that the, the threat of rape was... You know, I, I think, honestly... And, you know, I mean, I was just a wee lad when this... When we're talk, in the era we're talking about. But I think rape, I think people were less sensitive to rape back then than they are now. So, I don't know that that would have been the deciding factor on keeping it up. You know, keeping it out. Uh... And, uh, yeah, I, I agree with Blaine what he said about the structure working well enough that if you're a fan of the genre. But I, I think I think Blaine needs to expand his horizons on the genre because there are so many good westerns out there, Blaine. Anyway, I guess that's it for this time. What are we doing next time? Next time. It's your funeral, mate. Go back. Tell them I was not interested, that I wouldn't even listen. I won't go for it. Whatever it is. So you may as well stop trying. We never stop number six. Now we'll see how accurately they've timed it. She was given a drug yesterday, one of the new super strength mopropamates that we've developed. She doesn't know anything about it. A beautiful young girl in danger is used to decoy the prisoner into intrigue and assassination in It's Your Funeral. We are in this prison for life, all of us. But I've met no one here who has committed a crime. Some other way, then. Not by an act of murder. Assassination! Well, it's what you like. The important matter is that the entire village will be punished. The prisoner is forced to protect the tyrant who would destroy him in the next desperate adventure of the prisoner on this channel. Keep away! All right, we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Be seeing you. Bye-bye. Partner. It's your funeral. Who are you? The village people. Who are the supervisor? Paul Spataro. The chess master, Dave Pascarella. Rover, Dr. Bill Robinson. And Andrew Leyland as the butler. The village people investigating the prisoner.